do you have to design a virtual environment that solicits interaction <laughs> would be maybe a way to round that off. Because obviously the real world, we're attuned to it, but the virtual reality world must be as new to us today as like a perfect one point perspective painting was to people during the Renaissance, like a window to the world, but it's flat, but it still engages our, you know, like proprioception, for example, like our ability to understand that we are in space. And if I want to extend my arm to grab something off my desk, there's a sort of feedback pattern where, you know, I constantly make adjustments and, and use visual cues and also extend and use that information from my muscles too, to eventually successfully grab the object, whatever it is, probably a beer. Um, do, you, <laughs> do you have to take similar things like that into account in virtual reality studies where like design becomes an important aspect, something like, like you can't just design a hostile environment that's made of like, you can't just drop somebody into like, a, I don't know, some kind of weird video game world. Warrior world with all the lava and stuff, you know? Yeah. Can you, do you have an example of a, like when you had to solve a problem with that? In, uh, well, I mean, in all of the environments you design, you want to pilot them. Uh, you know, extensively beforehand to make sure that, like you were saying, depth cues are appropriate. So there is this kind of like compression in VR where um, far distances, the further you go, they actually seem a little bit closer than they should. Uh, so if you're reaching for something, this probably won't be a big deal, but you do want to make sure that if someone were to reach for something, um, that that depth is shown correctly. And it's not always the case that the virtual environment has, so like you'll say like put it at two, you know, uh, 30 centimeters. And you think like, okay, the person can reach and grasp this, but sometimes the 30 centimeters isn't quite 30 centimeters and people will either overshoot or undershoot and uh, you just want to kind of calibrate it a little bit. Mm. But uh, a big thing you want to calibrate uh, is the, uh, what would you call it? So like, you don't want any lag. That's a good, that will make people super sick. So you want to make sure that um, when they move, that the movement in the virtual environment, like with the camera view, matches their body's view because the second it doesn't people are very sensitive to it they're going to start getting really sick very quickly and do you well, get I, I sick to... because your brain thinks you've been poisoned or something what is what that's is, what is one it? of the hypotheses there's a few different hypotheses from different perspectives and they all think they're you know correct oh. uh, but one of the the hypotheses is that you think you've been poisoned yeah that for some reason my vision and my vestibular system aren't working together correctly oh. uh, and there must be something wrong with me so one of the reasons earlier I brought up that question about like pathways versus habits too, is because I know a lot of phenomenology purists, right? Like they don't like to, like, they always want to say, okay, if you're, if you're like reducing these things to the brain, you're like, you know, missing something you're, you're because you're missing the existential analysis, which better explains like how we are in the world. Right. Which, which explains like this habitual and then it's like reducing it to, and I guess like my, the, the thing I was kind of trying to gesture at is, um, you know, I think that, that both are just different levels of description, I guess, is the thing that I'm trying to, uh, like, maybe suggest, because I think sometimes I know, I mean, I studied phenomenal with phenom with people who are really into phenomenology and they're kind of hostile to people who want to talk about things in the brain generally, because they're just like, no, no, it's like, I mean, they, they it's not like they deny that the brain um, like plays a role, but they're just like, they, they're really like, um, I don't know, sensitive to the possibility of reducing things down and then missing this sort of story that i tried to tell when i was talking about the rock wall but like that's a somehow more complete uh but i guess maybe there's i think that those two things are consistent at least like pathways and habit maybe but i don't know if you i had, I had a follow-up that i wanted actually it's directly related to that so 
one of the things that phenomenal I'll just emphasize kind of the way that we were talking about just a little bit earlier is again the fact that this disconnect between the mind brain and body is artificial right that actually you can't uh break them up conceptually uh the way that some people want to because uh, the body plays a way in a role in informing how it is the brain and mind operate uh, perception and so on but another way that some phenomenologists uh tackle the issue uh and this also carries on into other fields of philosophy is also by emphasizing things like for instance um language and the role uh, that association plays in perception. So, for instance, um, the logician W. Van Orman, William Van Orman Quine would point out that if you put a rabbit in front of two people uh, and they were embedded in different linguistic communities, they might actually perceive the rabbit as being something fundamentally different. You know, this is his famous Gabagai thought experiment. You know, you and I, you know, coming from a European condition might sit there and say, oh, rabbit, you know, it's a mammal, bipedal, or, you know, quadrupedal, runs around in a forest, but somebody from a very different uh, cultural tradition might look at it and see like, oh, food, right? Uh, and his argument is that this they do actually perceive it differently because the language they use to describe it is different. Uh, so he ascribed a lot to association when it came to perception. Do you think that that's fair or is that putting too much weight on association when it comes to perception? Just that example I gave. No, uh, there's actually a number of really neat studies that look at that with uh, color or like shapes. Right. Um, where the language the person speaks affects how they might categorize colors. It doesn't affect how they see the color, but it right. does affect how they might describe or categorize color. So like if they consider, so like if they don't have the distinction for blue, they may group. So if you show them blue, they'll call it green because they right. just don't have the word for blue. And to them, it's categorized as green and it's green. Um, obviously, you know, I don't know if they'd perceive it as green. Like I'm not, obviously that's comes down to like the quality, right? Like what are they actually perceiving? 